Welcome to CIS Sounds, the podcast that features the voices and experiences of senior majors in Davidson College's Center for Interdisciplinary Studies, referred to as CIS or the Center. I'm Jane Mangan, the current director of the Center, and I'll be your host today. I'm speaking with Brody McCurdy for our first CIS Sounds podcast of the new decade. Brody is a senior linguistics major through the center. His faculty advisors are Professor Samuel Santos y Sanchez in Hispanic Studies and Rebecca Fernandez in Rhetoric and Writing. Welcome, Brody. Thank you. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. I'm excited. So I'm curious about um, you sort of filling out that application for Davidson College and it's saying, you know, what's your prospective major? Did it say linguistics? Did you know that this was going to be your major? I think I knew, but there wasn't a department at Davidson. So, you know, I mean, it sounds weird that I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I, and yet I applied to a school with no linguistics major. Um, Because I think as a kid, I really enjoyed learning different, like, alphabets and codes and things like that. And then it kind of evolved into this um, interest in learning, like picking apart languages and not necessarily learning them like fluently, but just looking at their structures or sounds. It just like really interested me. And I think throughout middle school and high school, I was really interested in history because that was like my favorite subject. And that's what I kind of had my mindset on, that that was what I was going to do in college. And my dad like um, talked to me one day and he was like, well, I think you're actually more interested in like linguistics and I had never heard about it before and as I was starting to read things like that I, I was like oh this really is like what I want to do um, but when I applied to Davidson there was no linguistics department um, which is a bummer but um, so I thought I'd do English do history something like that um, but my my freshman spring I took a class called um, the history of the English language with um, Dr. Ford he was a visiting professor here and we were all giving introductions about ourselves and our majors and things like that. And I said, hi, I'm Brody, and I would really like to do a linguistics major. And he said, like, that's not a major here. And I'm like, I know, but I want to see if I can do it. And he's like, OK, visit me after, like, after school. We'll set something up. And so we met. Um, he sat down with me. He's like, OK, these are the classes. These are the teachers. Let's see if we can do this. Like, and so he really kind of laid out the groundwork for me. He, let, he actually introduced me to Dr. Fernandez. And, it kind of opened up all these doors for me to do the CIS, which was really cool. So thanks are due, I suppose, to your dad for identifying this a long yeah, time ago, seriously. and then also to Dr. Ford. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> yeah, you you started talking a little bit in your response to my first question, um, to but in a way that's sort of an answer to my second question, because I was wondering specifically how the center allowed you to create this major that didn't exist at, at mm. Davidson. Yeah, it's... um. It's nice because I can kind of incorporate these independent studies that I do that kind of fill in the gaps of the curriculum. But also I use some abroad. I went um, abroad to um, University of Edinburgh that has a very, very good linguistics program. I was able to incorporate those courses into, into my major. Um, but I think it's just so cool because um, I think I've always really wanted to, you know, somehow, somehow like, um, felt like I missed out because I, you know, I'm not a part of a, a, a full-fledged department. Um, but I think I'm so lucky to actually have been part of the, the CIS to be so interdisciplinary because, um, because I get to take classes and, and you know, um, be introduced to theories and methods that just I don't think I would have been able to if I was in a traditional linguistics major. I think I would have been very set on certain things or um, 
a very like set path. And the interdisciplinary like nature of the CIS has really been it let me, you know, explore all these different facets of language that um, linguists traditionally don't look at. That's pretty exciting. Um, you're well. You're definitely doing a unique senior thesis, um, and uh, I'd love it if you could share the title with us and and tell us a little bit about how you came to this particular topic. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably the most liberal arts thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, it is uh, entitled "Forging an Alien Tongue: Language Ideologies Enacted in the Constructed Languages of Game of Thrones," which is a bit of a mouthful. But um, essentially, what <laughs> essentially what it is is looking at the constructed languages in Game of Thrones. So there are two. Um, there's one called Dothraki, and there's one called High Valyrian, both created by a man named David Peterson. Um, and uh, these are full fledged languages in the sense that they have like their own unique grammar they have their own kind of sound systems they have i mean some vocabulary words like um dothraki has a little bit more than high valyrian but but enough to translate parts of the show that they want to make realistic they want to kind of um make this fictional world come to life and and these constructed languages are a big part of that not just for game of thrones but for a lot of different fantasy shows now um especially um taking after the example of of game of thrones now but what i'm looking at is seeing how um people perceive so american monolingual in american english speakers perceive dothraki and high valyrian when they don't realize they're fake so when they hear these languages, what are they thinking? What are their perceptions of the people who speak it? Um, for example, Dothraki in the show, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's um, the Dothraki are, very, are portrayed by the show as being very brutal, being very tough, being very, you know, like um, rough and, and violent. And, um, and so you have to, if you're creating a language for the Dothraki people, you have to create a language that, that um, kind of embodies that and, 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 so when people hear Dothraki, for example, in a in a in a sample, um, a recording sample, for example, are they are they do they get the same impressions of the people as the ways in which these people are portraying the show? For example, um, if someone heard a recording of Dothraki, would they perceive that person, that speaker, as being a little bit more rough, a little bit more like rude or kind of harsh? Whereas with High Valyrian, which is kind of the Latin of this of this fictional world, it's very it's supposed to be very flowy, it's supposed to be very smooth, you know, like very, very nice sounding, um, and is portrayed in very different ways than Doth the Dothraki speakers. Do uh, monolingual American English speakers perceive them as being more sophisticated, a little bit more, you know, polite or or um, or uh, you know different things that uh, in different characteristics that um, than Dothraki, for example. So that's what I'm looking at. So let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions. Um, one is what's the method behind trying to ascertain? Mm. So you've spelled out what the, the question is, but how, what's the method you've used to go about this? And, and the other question that I have, and this is sort of, let, let's say there's a skeptic. Um, it's not me, because uh, mm. I really like your project, but there's a skeptic who says, well, these aren't real languages, so what's applicable about what you find? So yeah. just uh, very different questions, but I'm curious to hear your responses. Well, um, the methodology I'm using is called a verbal guys test, and it is kind of, um, it's where you have participants listen to different language sample recordings, for example, and then there's a scale of one to five or one to seven or something like that. Um, where they rate 
these recordings based on different features. So um, a lot of times, let's just say I'm choosing um, politeness and impoliteness. So there'd be a scale of one being very polite and seven being very impolite. And someone rates those, those recordings um, on that scale. So someone, for example, would get um, a recording of Dothraki and they'll say, this speak, um, I believe this speaker sounds, and then they write somewhere on the scale of polite and impolite or something like that. So that's, that's what I'm using. It's called a verbal guise test and it's, um, it's used mainly in, there's, so li there's linguistics and then there's the subfield of sociolinguistics, which looks at how a language and context language and society and how your different identities kind of affect the way you either perceive a language or you, you speak language. And then within sociolinguistics, there's something called language regard, which is, um, it looks at how we perceive language and how how we perceive language actually affects the way um, we interact with people. We um, and and it's not just like that trivial. There's there's examples where um, we can find out a we can assume a lot about a speaker based on the way they speak. Um, things like race, things like um, different identity, gender, um, background, class, all these different things just on the way people speak. Um, so let me interrupt you for just a second, because that point is really interesting in terms of how this is, research is applicable. But if you're doing this with a language that is a constructed language, yeah. then where, where does that fit in in terms of the findings? So if you have these, they're, they're constructed languages. They're, they're fake languages, essentially. Um, but with, Notice I did use constructed, not yes, fake. Yes, yes. Okay, constructed, yeah. created, you know, we can give it any name. But... Um, so we have these languages that are that are constructed, that are fictional. But what's interesting is, in order to create a language that sounds rough or tough or whatever, we have to draw from different languages that we think those same things about about the, the speakers who speak it. So that sounded very confusing. Let's just say, um, for example, a lot of people find German, for example, very rough. Um, and when people are describing the German language, they're thinking about things like. Um, you'll hear like descriptions like rough, um, orderly, um, harsh, like these are all kind of descriptors. Look online, like there's there's like a gold mine of things that people describe, um, like with the characteristics with which people describe language. Um, but a lot of those characteristics are actually just the stereotypes American English speakers have of German people, and then they just map it onto the mm -hmm. language. So if you're imagining to make a language for Dothraki, for example, it needs to sound rough, it needs to sound tough. You need to draw from these kind of languages that we also have those same perceptions of them, but that also has implications for the perceptions we have of those cultures of, or of those people. So while they are fake languages, they are kind of incorporating these real they're called language ideologies, our ideas about language, or our perceptions about those languages and people who speak them. Um, so I'm wondering, as someone who's never watched Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. should I, do I need to watch a little bit before I read your thesis or I come to your thesis defense? Is that advisable? You know, I can send you some links. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I think it's pretty good. And so, although, you know, people don't like the eighth season very much, but um, no, you don't need to, but you can go online and you can see, you know, these language sample, like, um, you know, certain um, scenes from the show where they incorporate this language. And I think that would be kind of fun to to just have that little background before you, uh, you know, you read. Well, I'm surprised that I've managed to avoid it for so long, but this might be just the nudge that I need. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
So I have um, a, a question about your advisors. They are in two distinct departments. I mean, what they do, their overlaps, and it's you know certainly related. But I wonder how your work with them um, informs what you do in the thesis. So how are their different? Um, and you touched on this a little bit in terms of sociolinguistics and linguistics, but you know, what are you drawing from um, in terms of your work with Dr. Sanchez and Sanchez, and what are you drawing from in terms of, uh, of working with Dr. Fernandez? Yeah, it's been kind of interesting to even find two two professors to be my my advisors because there's just not that many people with a linguistics background at Davidson. But um, but when you mentioned Game of Thrones, people didn't come running. You no, know, no, unfortunately, <laughs> you would have thought, but. Um, uh, but we have Dr. Fernandez is a more applied linguist, uh, linguist. So she deals with things like language policy and um, and bilingual education and things like that. Um, uh, Dr. Sanchez y Sanchez is actually a trained sociolinguistic uh, linguist. So that was really helpful in terms of kind of my project. So what's nice is I kind of get that socio, you know, sociolinguistic kind of perspective from Dr. Sanchez y Sanchez, mm -hmm. and then from um, Dr. Fernandez, I get kind of the more applied. She does. A, she'll work a lot with like language ideologies, which is kind of a lot of what what I work with. Um, but what's kind of interesting is that you know language regard, which is kind of the methodological framework I'm working with, um, is kind of niche. Even like linguistics is niche, and then it's like this is like even like nichier than that. Like it's a very small subset of linguistics. So um, it's like me, Dr. Fernandez, and Dr. Sanchez, and Chuck Sanchez are all kind of learning this together, this particular framework together, which has been kind of a fun journey. Um, and so we've all been kind of familiarizing ourselves with, with you know, what this, what this methodology entails or, you know, the different, um, you know, the different theory behind it. So that's been kind of fun. Well, it's, ex it's exciting to see the work unfold here at Davidson for sure. So Brody, in a few months, will be graduating mm. and ask that question that all the seniors want to answer. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? Is there a dream job or a dream research project? Yeah, I've been asking myself this, you know, a lot recently. Um, I think ultimately I'd like to go to grad school. Um, I'm actually looking at NC State has a very good um, sociolinguistics uh, socio program. Um, but like a dream job? I don't know if this would happen in five years, but dream job would probably be um, like to work. This is actually one of the reasons why I got interested in linguistics was um, uh, language revitalization work. So um, working with um, endangered languages, um, program education programs that kind of help those communities bring back their languages um, from when a lot of them only have like one or two speakers. Um, so that's that would be dream the dream job uh, the dream job. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if that actually works. But that would be like, yeah, that would be great. Otherwise, I, th I think I just would like to teach linguistics because it's something I could talk about forever. So, Would you ever be interested in writing a constructed, uh, coming up with a constructed language for a, um, a show? Uh, you know, that would be pretty cool. I've actually made my own language before. I've given it as a present to some people. Um, it was, uh, I don't like usually, you know, exposing myself, but... Um, yes, no, I have um, created my own fictional language. Um, if you want to look at it, it's it's available. So <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> and it also right. It's it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of this notion of working with groups to rescue a language mm -hmm. that is um, is fading. Well, what's kind of interesting is there's some research being done about these fictional uh, languages where. Um, 
think about Klingon, for example, and you have these people who like really want to learn Klingon and they create these communities and these networks to try to learn. And, and so there's been studies where they look at how people create community or create these networks or these places where they can come together to practice language. And they're looking at how like people make those networks and seeing how they can apply those same kind of techniques to indigenous languages um, that are endangered and seeing how they could probably make these new contexts for, you know, for practicing, for you know, making this language come alive, which is kind of cool. So it's 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 fictional and whatever, but there actually are some other implications for you know um, other work in linguistics. So we're winding down, and I suppose my last um, sort of formal question is: What advice you have for other Davidson students who think they might want to either major in linguistics or create a student-designed major at CIS? Um, well, for linguistics in particular, I would say, you know, it's tough. <laughs> there really aren't that many. Good to be honest about yeah, it. no, I, I, there really aren't that many classes um, to kind of support that major. And uh, there's no department here, which is which is tough. Um, so I would say if this is something you really want to do, if this is, you know, like a passion of yours, do it like you can. It is possible. And I mean, you can go abroad, take classes, you can do independent studies. Um, we just got... Um, the Hispanic Studies Department just got someone who was a, a, a trained linguist. So, so things are things are you know on the up and up. They're on the up and up um, for linguistic majors of the future. Um, so you know what? Do it if if you if that's something you're really loving, like do it. Talk to me. I I would love to talk to you about it. In terms of just CIS in general, I just think it's so cool because like you just get you know, to dip your toes in two different kind of fields or multiple fields. And, and I think with my major in particular, because there is no department, I really had to rely on so many different teachers and de departments and things like that. So um, it's been so cool to have that interdisciplinary like view and things I would have never been able to like been exposed to if, if I was just like a straight up linguistics major. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And um, it was, it's also been very interesting to hear about your research. Actually, one of the things I love about being the director of the center is that I get to see so many different kinds of projects. And I didn't quite imagine that there would be one about constructive languages, <laughs> but it's been great. So I'm going to ask you if you want to say something. <laughs> in High Valyrian oh my or Dothraki to uh, sign us off here today, Brody. Okay, I actually, so this probably doesn't actually make sense, but I had to re make recordings in Dothraki and High Valyrian, so I had to do the High Valyrian one. Um, <laughs> it's, um, okay, so Daor means no, and then Idrenon Mahon. I don't know what that means, but it means something. I had to say it about five million times in, in, in my recording, so whatever that means, I hope that resonates with you. Well, thank you for sharing this with us today. It's been a lot of fun and I'm gonna sign off for CIS Sounds. Until next time, thanks. <laughs>